This is Live Booleans, where Costa and Alex chat about, well, game dev things. Video games, dev culture, tech, game design, events, and all the other stuff they love to nerd out on. So thanks for tuning in. G'day everyone, welcome to another episode of Live Booleans. I'm Alex, I'm joined always by Costa. Hey, hey, how's it going? Going good. Uh, this week we are joined with a fellow SA game dev from A Few Dragons who's working on their current game, The Sacred Acorn, available to wishlist on Steam, um, also with the Discord out at the moment for everyone to join. Um, please welcome Kieran Statch. Kieran, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get right into it. Basically, your, uh, your f- first game? So first game as this studio, um, worked uh, a few other places beforehand. Right, because that, that's one thing that comes across is like how much prep work is already done for this game. Where, in case I didn't say it, the Sacred Acorn. Um, yeah, the websites, the Steam page, it definitely seems like you know what you're doing. Ah, uh, that's that's generous. I um, have worked in games before, so I've seen a lot of the pre-production, but mostly it's just a lot of self-research, watching GDC talks on their YouTube channel, um, doing things like uh, Gig, which is the game industry gathering every Friday night, which is like a remote worldwide thing, and just talking to people um, that have done this before. And just being like, hey, um, I don't know how to do this. Uh, what's the best way? And they were like, look, these are some of the things you could do. And I'm like, I'm going to do all of them. Yeah, right. Can you tell us more about uh, Gig? I've never really heard of that one. I'm surprised. The amount <laughs> you, I see you online and you're meant to be doing all your social media marketing. <laughs> so Gig Game Industry Gathering was sti- uh, started by Guy from, uh, he works at PAX. Essentially, when 2020 uh, or COVID hit, he was like, well, all the um, networking events are shut down. So I'm going to start this thing. It's going to be a Zoom call. Uh, every 20 minutes, you'll switch between a six-person breakout room and you know get to know people worldwide while we can't go to um, events. And it's just grown ridiculously big um, since then. It's really good. I've met like so many good people. Uh, I've been doing streams with uh, like Tiffany Otto, who's the director of Indiecade. We, like we've been doing streaming of like Shield Games on Wednesdays, and um, Alana Lanier, who is doing a game, which it's hard to it's hard to describe the message as eloquently as she does. But essentially, it's for like people who have anxiety, and it's it's like a visual novel RPG. And you can't be friends with everybody. Like, you can't please everybody. And that is the point of the game. And it's trying to teach people that that's how some people view life. So I've just, I've learned heaps of stuff from just being able to talk to people all over the world that I would never have had without uh, something like Gig. Yeah, so so this started from the the lockdowns, I guess, basically. Yeah, because we, I think, essentially there was like going to be lots of people going to GDC and then there was no GDC and they're like, well, we still want to talk to people. So they started it. Right. Okay, cool. That's a good one to look into. And would you say it was Friday nights they do it? So our Saturday morning or uh, Saturday 2 a.m. till like 2 p.m. or something, um, America's Friday night. Okay. Yeah, every week... um, if you just Google games industry gathering, you'll find it. Uh, there's a sign up form. They're very picky about who they let in. So like if you, they'll like look at your Twitter and stuff. And if you like go on hate speech rants, they're not letting you in. Yeah. Fair. Um, yeah, walk us through actually uh, the game that you're working on the sacred acorn. Is it just yourself? Is it in a team? Uh, so what's started, the, well, <laughs> the general yeah. sort of gist of it? So, um, 2019, end of that, there was a game jam. Can't remember which game jam it was. I've, I've done quite a few. <laughs> Sorry. But made uh, this little four-player local co-op game. And with that, people really liked the art style. The game itself was crap. The gameplay, don't ever want to see uh, anyone to see that ever again. But people were like, oh, that looks really fun and cute. I would play that. And then they play it and they're like, this is horrible. So I kept the art style and the theme and made a completely new game out of it, which is the Sacred Acorn. Um, 
it was just me for about three, four months. Then I was like, you know what? My art's okay. It can be better. And I can pay someone to do that. And so I put some local feelers out, just been like, hey, concept artist, show me your stuff. I'll pay you a bit to like do a concept of a, a squirrel. Um, and I got six or seven of them. But there was one that really stood out, which was uh, Lauren Nichols, who was a local essay artist. And her, yeah, hers was just exactly what I had in my mind, which I couldn't describe properly. And so from there, I was just like, all right, you're the one. So um, been working with her since then. We have, um, because the Few Dragons was a company before the Sacred Acorn, we do lots of um, contract work for websites and uh, design work and stuff like that. So there's, there's two other partners, which is my in-life partner and um, a friend of mine, Chris Stone. Uh, Chris Stone's really good at all the CICD DevOps, uh, making sure I don't have to run servers or uh, get websites running if they crash, and I can just focus on the games. Um, and Caitlin, my partner, she does a lot of the design work, you know, designed the whole brand for a few dragons, make sure we stay on brand when doing messaging and our tone of voice and all those sorts of things online. Uh, as of today of this recording, um, we just, uh, started working with a new communications director at a few dragons. Uh, she goes by Hexanguin on Twitter and she's going to start doing all the socials and all the discord stuff. So I can focus more on making the game. Nice. Yeah, that's that's something you find with, um, I guess, as you progress with these, you know, the startup and stuff is how much your role, your initial role of what you wanted to do diminishes as you have to start, you know, spreading out to other things. So if you can get back to what you wanted to do, that's just gold. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it started out like I was making a game and then I was doing 8,000 other things. And I now, now I'm back to down like 6,500. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, as I said before, like your socials, your online presence, everything, it's really well, like, put together. Like, um, one thing I noticed is you guys do um, devlogs. Um, how did they come about? Uh, I just see, see other people doing them, and I'm like, hey, it's another way to do it. I haven't done it in the last two months, but uh, that's just because life's been a bit busy. Um, I have a one-year-old or he's about to be one so this year's been like quite hard working full-time making a game and raising a, a new kid um but they're really fun to do and i find people really like them if you can produce them well enough like i have a little bit of a standard my standard's not like super high uh, there's definitely people who have higher standards but i do have somewhat of a standard of like i'm not just going to yell at a microphone for 10 minutes and then put it on youtube i make a plan of what I'm going to say in the devlog, like, hey, this is the intro. Um, there's two features I might want to talk about. Uh, my next devlog, I want to talk about the companions you can have in the game and the new area that we've just made, the Mushplume Caves. So I say, all right, two and a half minutes each for those, 30 seconds, maybe a minute for the intro with like saying, hey, you can find the game on Steam, wishlist, that kind of stuff. Uh, from there, after doing the bulk of that content, I will make a plan of sort of talking about what we're slowly deciding to go on to next. Like, hey, we just finished this area. This is like sort of a concept of what we're working on next. And just kind of try and get early comments of being like, oh, that looks cool. Or like, oh, I don't want a desert area. Every game has a desert area. So I can kind of do a little bit of like user feedback, like cheaply. <clears throat> um and then, yeah, just finish off the video with like, hey, if you liked it, you know, do the subscribe thing. Really helps if you sign up for our newsletter. Really helps if you wish list. And you can find us on socials. So do you find that the dev blogs are a good way of, like you just mentioned, sort of cheaply getting feedback from, from people without having to sort of go through the process of building out demos, shipping them and constantly getting that? And is there any other ways that you also get sort of user feedback as well? Uh, so talk to a lot of people. I've sent my demo or like our prototype playable to lots of publishers. I've made friends through gig with a lot of publisher people. Like, mm -hmm. um, just to think of like Johan Teresen from Raw Fury, Chris Wolf from those awesome guys. Like they're really good people and they have great feedback. Wouldn't have met them without gig. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I send it to those sort of people and just be like, Hey, one, is this something you would publish? 
Two, if it's not, is it because it's bad or is it just be like, your studio's looking for heads blowing up and that's not what my game offers? What's the Which feedback? sometimes is the case. Yeah. What's the feedback been like with that? Um, so I, I, I tried to take it on very honestly and uh, not get too hurt. Um, there's definitely people want more uh, scope and more gameplay. Like I, I've tried to keep it a little bit simple and like, I kind of like um, Yoten, which is like a you kill all the gods games. Uh, there's like five Greek gods. There, it's essentially just a boss battle game. You do a little bit of exploring and you kill these massive creatures. But I liked that in that game, there was like three things that you could do and you just had to kind of work out how to defeat those bosses by doing that. And I wanted to do that with a lot more enemies and exploration in the world. I didn't just want it to be those big boss fights. I wanted to keep it simple of like, you had a certain, like you had swipe, you have dash, you have, um, this thing called projection and you use those things to work out how to do everything in the world. It's not about becoming the most ultimate squirrel who gets beefy arms cause he works out so much. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, right. So um, I guess back on that with the, the Sacred Acorn, um, tell us a bit about you know, what the game's about. Um, yeah, the character. And and how to evolve from, like, I mean, the the initial sort of game jam uh, concept into what it is now. I know Alex also has gone from game jam to, you know, taking that game full steam. How has that design changed? And Do- what doesn't the every indie do that? <laughs> every indie does that, yes, for sure. Um, like Hollow Knight did that. Uh, Yoten, the one I was talking about, did that. Like I swear, that's just how as an indie you do it. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with like from game jam to game. Uh, like I said before, we took the theme and we're like, all right, this is this is a cool theme. What about it is cool? What would that work with? Um, so I chose that art because I like Jotun. Um, a few games that I've been playing recently at the time were Hollow Knight. Um, I really liked Moon Hunters as well. So I just wanted something that was explorable, but I still wanted a story. Um, what's good about both those games that I mentioned, Hollow Knight and Moon Hunters, is they both have stories, but they, it's not dialogue heavy. It's not narrative heavy. It's a lot of like you find things and you piece the story together yourself. And like you can tell there's a huge law there, but it's portrayed in a way that I don't have to hire 50 people to write a novel. Hmm. And so that that's sort of what I'm going for. After I decided that, we'll go, oh, this is me going into, I guess, what the game is about. I decided, all right, well, what could have a lot of law? One, having lots of like kind of biome areas ruled by different either clans or uh, types of races. So the first race you see is the squirrels because you are the squirrel. Um, you start off in this like lush land called the Emerald Thicket and you sort of go through, everything's fine for like the first five minutes and then they find out like this big tree that kind of provides them with all the magic and life and essence in the forest is uh, dying and has been been corrupted. You don't know why. But you go there and you're like, hey, it's attacking me and swinging its massive branches at me. And you defeat it. And that unlocks your first, uh, I guess, what you would call a sacred acorn, which is sort of upgrade which I didn't want, but like it unlocks your first ability. And then from there you go find out like, hey, what are we going to do? Our forest is going to die without this. So you have to search, like you have to go out on your journey to try and find a way to save your forest that you all live in because without it the squirrels get no acorns and they have nothing to eat to live yeah right and has the so did the scope change at all between game jam to as you said after you were having these conversations with publishers and stuff like that um that's something we found was in a game jam setting you're kind of making a game for yourself and then when you start you come out the other side and then you start doing like the like you were doing the market research and stuff you're like okay i need to pivot a little bit did you have to do any of that so because my i was keeping the theme and already making a new idea sat down for about a day i uh, jotted down kind of what the loose story plot points were again because it's not narrative heavy i didn't have to do like oh and then this character meets this character 
I've just got a document on Google Drive which has like, all right, there's these seven areas. Um, you unlock them in this order. You can unlock them differently if you uh, do some fancy stuff and like there's some secrets. But for the, for the most players, they're going to follow this path. They're going to talk to these people along the way. I think that's good enough. And the scope has stayed the same ever since. Yeah, great. So you're staying, staying true to your original concept, basically. Yeah, I, I try and be really disciplined about that. Like, we've got a timeline that we're very on schedule for. Um, as we add to the team, it's probably only going to get better. The only thing, if, yeah, if we add, like, another artist, I'm not going to add more content to make. It's just going to be, all right, we're going to improve the stuff we already have. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, your your Discord that you're currently running, um, I, think, I believe it was you that I was talking to, and you've got, um, like, you push out demos to certain testers yes so all of our testers are on our discord we use discord and their library feature so every time i work on the game uh, at the end of the day i press the commit to github button github then it's like hey new push on develop builds the game and then it pushes that onto discord and then the testers can play that like 20 minutes after i've pushed it so yeah, right. everyone That's always awesome. has the latest thing to play I like working like that. So I'm like someone might, one thing I hate is when someone's like, oh, there's this bug and like the character explodes and it shouldn't. I'm like, yeah, I fixed that like three weeks ago. Like uh, I'll get a build out soon. I don't want to run like that. <laughs> if yeah. someone's telling me a bug, it should be because there's a, there's a bug that I haven't fixed. Yeah. Right. Okay. Does that mean you're testing? I mean, it's, does, is a game accessible to anyone who wants to get, how do you sort of get the testing group going and, how did that come about and, you know, uh, what's the feedback like with that as well? And um, how do you iterate mostly, on it? Mostly just people that were interested in doing it. They were like, oh, that game looks cool. How can I play it? I'm like, well, you can test for it. Um, I do only let people test who I know are going to actually, like, give me reports on stuff. Like, I'm not just going to let uh, Joe blog from the internet because he wants to play it do it unless, like, he can show me, oh, yeah, this is like the testing stuff I've done before. This is what I'll do for testing your game. Like, it's not there as an early access. It is there to find bugs. And while you also get the enjoyment of playing it and seeing it developed, like, the testing role is there first. Yeah. And um, has it been... So you've seen a lot of interest for people to just join in and opt in and test? Like, hey, I really want to play this. I've got a bit of testing background. Can I kind of jump in and and help you out? Um, not so much from the testing background part. I, I was lucky with the ones that I have found. Um, I do get a lot of people being like, hey, is there any way that I can play this yet? Like, you know, 2022 is ages away. And I'm just like, sadly, no. Uh, we are looking to do a Steam festival demo at some point. Uh, when that is really depends how comfortable we're feeling with showing it. Um, and in terms of the... Like when it comes to you guys are self-publishing this, right? It's not you. Know, you guys aren't, or you're still sort of looking at maybe going through publisher. Um, uh, always looking, always keeping every door open. Um, yeah. The reason we are starting to work with a communications director is we are leaning more towards self-publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, if we get the big thing that we need from a publisher, which it's kind of uh, ironic being the time it is, is like getting us out to events and getting us to awards and things like that, that no matter how passionate we are and how much free time we put in, we can't afford to do. Yeah, yeah. So it, it really is driven right now as that sort of, you know, from that passion perspective and um, and it is, you know, you guys are bootstrapping, as you'd say, in terms of getting the game out there. It's just you're sacrificing time when you can. Yep, basically. Um, what I also try and do is if I can get some contract work so I can pay people a little bit of money or get some software for someone, I'll do that. Um, I don't expect anyone else to do that, but I'm happy to. Yep, for sure, for sure. And, I mean, I know you touched on it earlier, but with publishers, is it uh, has it been a good process pitching to them? Um, so it's as good of a process as you put effort and research into Anyone looking for a publisher, I would say research everyone that you look at. Don't just send your pitch to 800 publishers. Um, find a list of 800. Find which one of those at least align with one one aspect of your game. Um, let's say you make uh, 
cartoon styled uh, beat 'em up. You want a publisher that either does beat 'em ups or does cartoon style games. Um, you don't want to be going to uh, a fellow traveler who's just like, yeah, we do story rich narrative games. Because they're going to look at that and they're going to be like, how does this like strengthen our lineup? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, so it really is lining up with the people, with the publishers and, and what their focus is on and that sort of stuff. Yeah, if you expect them to put like a day of their time into looking at your game seriously, you should put a day of your time into looking into them seriously is how I look mm-hmm, at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and did you when, you when you pitch to them, is it does it come from the perspective of, here's a demo or here's what we've done so far and here's where we're going or is it here's where we've gotten and we need this much money to get to the next the next stage? Um, it's a bit of both. So the way I pitch or um, I guess the way that the A Few Dragons uh, pitch deck has formed is like we have sort of like a mission statement of like this is why we're making this game and this is why we think it'd be good. This is the people that would play it. These are the games that have inspired it but it's not an identical version of them so we start with that sort of give them the lore behind the game at that point we get into like here's our team here's why we can accomplish the game you're giving a a studio that's not made a game before money here's what it's going to and here's what we've done in our previous lives or the passion that we show here's our portfolios sort of proving ourselves Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, after that, we go into the, all right, um, this is how much money we need and this will get you this. I try and break that down into like, all right, we've got three sections of the game done. We need to do five more. To, it, we'll spend two months of each of those if you give us this much money and then we'll do like a three-month beta process where we try and get out every bug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Um, so as you said before, like, you know, you're very social in the online areas with this stuff and that's something we've noticed you know is you've been in a lot of the developer talks and whenever we've been lucky to have like uh in-person things yeah (laughs) in-person things and also just the the online conference um what's been some just for listeners what have been some big things that shifted the way that you work or like has given you something to aim towards like for example imagine i imagine like the pitching and the publishing, there was some good advice you were given, um, stuff like that. What, what's been some of the the good key advice that you found that you didn't have at the start, but you developed as you went through? Um, yep. So when I applied for the, when a few dragons applied for the um, South Australia game dev grants, I can't remember what they were actually called, but for there's only one of them. So for now it'd be the South Australian game dev grant. Um, we didn't get it, but we did come close and they were like, look, it's really good and we can see people wanting to play this. It's just the other projects were better. Um, and that at least gives me that like, all right, so everything I've researched is on the right track. I just need to do more of it and get the direction that I'm going better. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've learned from the internet and like showing the trailer to people, it's really hard. Um, some, and this this comes from professional people as well as just consumers. Like, I'll talk to one person who like does pitch decks and they're like, yeah, your game needs this or it's not going to succeed. And then the next person will be like, oh, we could really see this doing well with exactly what you've got, but with this one other thing. Like, it is. It's really hard because even for professionals, a lot of it is like opinion based. Mm. Yeah, they're and, telling you what works for them. Yeah, like. And you you have to sort of rely on them while also finding your own way and what succeeds for you because it's going to be different from every other person before you and every other person after you. Yeah, it's almost a leap of faith to you got to you got to believe in your product and then your team and then yeah in the developer and sorry the the publisher whoever you're pitching to. Um, yes, exactly. But one of the the really good things is, as you said, uh, you're slated for hopefully a 2022 release. So you have got that time to, you know, find those publishers and stuff like that. Is is that why the 2022 release date? To give yourself that comfortable time so you're not over-promising, rushing towards something? Essentially, um, we looked at, like, how long it's taken us to do what we've got now, and we times that by how much we've got left. And we're like, all right, we think we should be able to hit this. Um even if we don't get a full publisher, I wouldn't 
say no to going with a smaller publisher who can give us money just for the art or something like I'm very comfortable working lots of time with a full-time job and doing this but if I could get my artist like the money to even do like three days a week or something to really focus on it that would be great and I think that would do a lot for the project whether we get funded or not isn't going to change the release date um one of the good things about funding is that it gives us time to finish it a bit quicker and then polish it which we don't have now but with with funding we don't want to change the scope of the game just because we have money we want to we want to improve the quality of the game which yeah. we're aiming as high as we can as we are but like you know more resources per person who's not stretched thin just will equal a more polished game yeah and um because you guys have a good handle on it now but with a publisher would the hope also be the um the marketing like the reach yes and no so what i found with a lot of publishers this isn't true for everyone um i know raw few is really good with this but a lot try and take your game and offer it as like hey we're x publisher and these are our games Whereas we're trying to be like, hey, we're a few dragons and these are our games. We don't want a publisher that is trying to separate our game into their catalog over ours because we're trying to build... We're not just worried about this project. We're worried about the next three. And that why we're making this project is so we can make the next three. We've got dreams of what we want to make next. We just have to get there. And building up a kind of a fan base not around the game but around the company making it is what we're trying to do which is one of the big pushes of getting a communications director so early yeah okay so that is that's definitely been some like one, one of the things that i uh i want to struggled with but definitely when we were starting out i wasn't sure whether to focus the attention on the game or the company um so i imagine there was a bit of an internal monologue going on when you were making that decision wasn't really a decision um again watch way too much youtube on gdc talks um two people that are two companies i really like is clay and kit fox they both have multiple projects at once they don't do one project they want to essentially have like all right if this one fails and this one succeeds we're still good mm. thankfully for both of them like most of their projects succeed but i just like that mentality of like we're a company releasing good games and that's what we want people to know us for. Like you, <clears throat> I think for most people who are spend a bit of time on the internet, they'll know like boyfriend dungeon from kit Fox or don't starve from clay. And if you look at the rest of their games, they follow a, a certain theme like kit Fox does out their ideas of mechanics. Like they'll, they'll do uh, dating your swords or they'll do um, like procedural generated uh, monster finding dungeons, and Clay make that kind of like gritty doomsday. All right, so, like sort of like don't starve, and they, they, a lot of their catalog you can see like, hey, they make this sort of game. So people fall in love with that idea of like, oh, I'm excited for what they're doing next because I know I like their previous stuff, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what we're trying to build. And I think that's always been the plan. Like we love the project, but we want it to be a career as well so it's, it just can't be all about the project so in terms of when you look at it from your perspective of the company what um what would you say what, what would be the genre or the 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 hook of the company when you look at it like if someone you know externally was to look at it and say okay they've done uh you know the sacred acorn and then their next project will be similar in this way or in that way you know what's the sort of genre or the the uh yeah the feel that you're going for so my sort of idea from the start has been like i i want games that aren't necessarily easy so like the second icon will have challenging combat but the theme of it like i can play in front of my kids um as someone like starting a family i want i, I probably in a year can't play god of war in front of my son but if I can have challenging games that I could play in front of him, that would be great. Um, minus a little bit of swearing, I think Fable does this all right because it's a very bright theme and it doesn't really delve into like the the gory details of what most fantasy adventures of that type do. And that's that's what I want to lean into. 
So I guess games that are a bit wholesome, but still are challenging for those who want it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were some of the, I guess, inspirations going into it? Because from looking at it, I would have thought one thing, but now I feel like talking to you right now, there's a complex kind of uh, inspiration behind this project. Um, isn't, isn't there for every game? Yeah. <laughs> like you could look at any game, you'd be like, oh, this person just likes RPGs, so they made an RPG, and then you'll talk to them, and they'll be like, so I went on this scuba diving trip. Yeah. <laughs> I swear that's how, like, every game starts. But, um, yeah, the inspiration was, yeah, again, making something that, like, if I was to give my son in five years, I, he could play that. It ages well because of the art style. Like, it, it's a stylized art style that, like, has been done for, like, 10, 15 years, and it's not reliant on hardware so it's not going to age that well um age that poorly so that that was one of the main sort of inspirations is that i want things that i can play with my kids that i would still enjoy that's that's the biggest inspiration again the art style is like a very much inspired by jordan i i just really loved it and i, I find there's not too many top down games that offer that challenge there's a lot of platformers, like a lot of platformers. And I was like, I'm not making another platformer. That's never, that's never going to work. What have been the design challenges from like a top, now that you're, you know, if you're going from a top down perspective, what have you seen as the challenges of, of, you know, navigation, that sort of stuff? Uh, for the most part, uh, none compared to a normal platformer. The biggest one is we don't have gravity. We can't do any gravity based yeah. puzzles or challenges. Yeah, so we have yeah. to come up with ways around that to offer at least the same sort of level of complexity, but doing it a different way. Mm-hmm, can, you, mm-hmm. can you give an example of that? Like what, what do you mean by like gravity based challenge? So uh, let's say I'm playing a platformer, entering a room. I can't jump up to a ledge because I don't have the jump higher boots. I can't add that in a top down game. Yeah. Oh, so it's more of a, it's, it's not like an actual physics of gravity. It's a perspective of gravity. Yes. Yeah. But I guess also, like, I can't do enemies that drop stuff when flying over you and stuff as well. Like, I can, but it does not translate anywhere near as well because of the perspective. Right. Is it, I mean, it's, you know, from, from what I've seen from a bit of gameplay, it's, it's almost got like, a, it's got a little bit of hack and, hack and slash sort of um, mechanics to it as well. Yep. So essentially you'll go in, the, the kind of, thought we we're going for is you go in you explore the area you fight all the little creatures and then you'll find one or two big creatures that you have to work out their pattern to sort of defeat you can't hack and slash those you have to be like yep. all right once i hit him twice he's going to do this or like once uh he his eyes turn blue that means he's going to yeah. do a big swingy thing and i have to move so it's kind of like uh like legend of zelda for example you know you've got yeah, a little bit. The little kink mechanic that does one thing and then you have to, you know, do it in a combination sequence of yeah. events. Yeah. So as you unlock um, abilities in the game, you'll have to use those on the next boss. Like, it won't just be all abilities of each thing. You'll have to, like, once you get the projectile, you need to fire things to unlock th- stuff in the arena to help de- defeat the thing. Like, that, that sort of stuff, which you would not have to have done in the earlier bosses because you didn't have that ability yet. Yep, yep, yep. Um, one of the things that I was, sorry, I know we're jumping all over the joint. Um, one of the things I saw with the, um, in one of the devlogs, you were looking at the, um, UI and how you were changing out the icons to Xbox buttons, um, which makes me think like, um, what's your, what, what are you hoping to release on? What do you think it will do best on? Um, is it just the PC or, um, Probably PC is going to do best on. With new consoles out, that does change the landscape a little bit, but I don't think it's too big. I, I personally, out of the exceptions, and I don't think we're an exception, and I don't think anyone developing should think they're the exception, but for the most part, indie games on PlayStation and Xbox don't do huge. Like, people that are playing on those, while some of them might love indie games... Most of them are like, all right, I'm going to play FIFA or I'm going to play God of War or Halo. Like, yeah, that's right. what that's what they're playing on their big screen in their lounge room. Um, I don't mean to generalize, 
but like just from the numbers I've seen, like the people that like are going to itch.io and steam and stuff that have a lot more indie games, those platforms aren't available on consoles. Mm. So the people that love like smaller indie games, are just gravitated towards PC. Yeah. It's more of the, more of the polished indie games, I guess that, that make it to console or the, 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 the larger companies that, that produce indie games. Yeah. You might get like publishers that are like, Oh, we're going to put you on all the, all the consoles. And we, we definitely want to go to all the consoles, but our main thing is PC yeah. then work out porting. Um, yeah. So you go Costa. Uh, no, I was going to say, what about mobile devices as well? Is that something you've looked at? Uh, we aren't looking at mobile devices yet. We're probably not going to look at it until way after we've done the consoles. Um, whether the game fits or not, it's just we don't have the manpower to look at that many mm-hmm. uh, devices at once. Like yeah. we're, we're trying to, we're just trying to get it done for PC um, with PC to console because we're making it controller first on PC as well. Like keyboard and mouse still work completely fine, but we're testing and playing using the gamepad. So that translates to consoles very well. The only thing we'll have to work out is those like sort of nuances of like, oh, this sound thing, this sound driver that we used worked on PC. Why is it not working on PlayStation? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff we want to be sorting out. Whereas with changing to phone, we'll be like, all right, this ability doesn't work at all on a touch setting. How are we changing this? And we at the moment don't want to focus on any sort of design change that we would have to do to support that. And you're and you're working within Unity, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's sure. great. Yeah. Isn't it, Alex? Uh, well, we use uh, Unreal Engine. So. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, I guess it depends on the the project. And we. Oh, I mean, George is the programmer, but I mean, he's a blueprint scripter as mainly. Um, so, we've just started using. Uh, unity for like a side project um but yeah besides that we'd be hopeless in it um well i I am hopeless in it those two guys seem to handle it fine um but uh i'm an artist yeah for the most part the concepts are the same um i find unity has much better tools for 2d games yeah Mm -hmm. oh yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, so like my game's 2d it just i'm gonna do the thing that lets me make the game the easiest i don't want to I'm not here to make tools. Yeah. yeah. You're not loyal to one or the other. You're yeah. not locked down to one or the other. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm really not. Like, uh, if I was going to make a visual no- novel, I'd use Renpy or something. Like, it's proven. Like, games have done well on it. If I, like, I could be stubborn and use Unity and be like, oh, this is what I know. But, like, I'm going to have to remake so many things that are just already done in the yeah, other exactly. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, was it, was it, uh, Renpy? What's that? Is that uh, an engine? It's a Python-based uh, visual novel engine. Right. Python would give you huge options for those sorts of things. Yeah, it's very moddable and extendable, um, which I guess is why they do it because, like, and it runs on so many things. Mm. So it, it's very versatile. That being said, it's also, like, when you're doing Python stuff, it's not as powerful as, like, native or compiled uh games i guess so you're not like you're not going to be seeing um cyberpunk written in python yeah yeah no that's fair um so you being basically across a lot of these skills like you know web development game development um you said before you worked in other studios or something um what's what is what is your background like uh how did you get into game development uh how did i get in game development um when I was in high school, tinkering around with like Game Maker or Click and Play or something, it was just fun. Um, out of uni, I'm not even out of uni. Halfway through uni, um, I was making lots of UI plugins for uh, Unity on the Unity store. Um, Mighty Kingdom had a job ad out. They're like, they need a programmer for uh, some some projects. Uh, those projects were Disney projects. I just at the time, like they couldn't say. Hmm. Um. They looked at it, they're like, oh my God, this guy does all this UI stuff. And like all their games were like these UI focused um, kids games. Hmm. So they were just like, all right, we'll get him in. He'll do a bunch of UI stuff. And that's what I did. Uh, Worked there for a year. Then did VR for six months uh, as a contract. Uh, That was weird. Um, Never did VR before. Just kind of worked out. 
Uh, from there, I've worked in web development as oh, and software engineering now um, at TikTok Home Loans, which is like a local South Australian home loan provider. Um, and I've been working there ever since and now working on my indie game. Yeah, right. Because um, I remember having a conversation with you once before, um, I think earlier in the year, about your web development job. And even that is like... I could piece together why, you know, Unity clicks for you and stuff like that because how you were saying you guys basically push your websites, it's a lot of server back end. Like it's not a yeah. pretty WordPress-based kind of setup. It's a lot harder. Yeah, I take a lot of my software engineering into the world of uh, game dev of being like, hey, I, I don't want to work harder. I want I want this process. I want this pipeline to work. And once I've made that, I don't want to touch it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Are you still looking at um, developing tools for people that assist with those things? Uh, we've done a few uh, contracts for helping people set up a pipe, uh, pipeline for themselves. Um, it's one of those things that we, again, don't want to be in the game of developing tools and selling them. Like That just adds a level of complexity of like we have to start advertising on stores and they're different stores from Steam. We want to learn one thing and we want to learn it good. And and that's and that's the game storefront. Like we want to learn the Steam storefront. We don't want to be learning like the Unity or Unreal um, marketplace storefronts and how they like. It'll be a completely different thing. While we could do it, I think that's going to take the wrong energy away from our main project. Yeah. Have you have you done a lot of analysis on the on the sort of Steam Steam uh, storefront and the dynamics of it and that sort of stuff to help with the marketing perspective? I look at genre by genre uh, every day of what is selling, what is going on sale, um, where my wish lists are at compared to that. Um, I do a lot of that using uh, Steam Spy, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just try and stay on top of what's kind of a trend. Um, the little, the hard thing about that is like as a as an indie dev, sometimes you just got to filter out the big titles because. It doesn't matter if like if first person games aren't trending, but cyberpunk releases like it's going to sell regardless of what's trending. Hmm. What what seems to be trending now or what have you seen of the trends uh, over the past couple months? And how does that fit in with the game that how is it how does it fit in with the game that you're developing and does it change anything in the game as you go along and you see these trends? Oh, I'm, I'm hoping that it trends back to the sort of game we're developing. Um, at the moment, you'll see a lot of games being released about, um, not necessarily directly, but a lot of chill games that are party-based or playing with friends or wholesome or um, just ways to connect online or have an experience that kind of distracts you from the world. Like, um, like Among Us? See, uh, Among Us is a bit different. Like that was a game made ages ago and it just mm. fell into mm-hmm. popularity, but that is the social game that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Full guys. Um, you see moving out, you see overcooked. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a theme of what people are playing when they can't leave their house. Mm. Yep. Yep. Be interesting to know how these, what's dictating these trends. Cause there's a, a developer in, I think it's Melbourne that we've been in contact for a while. He's making a game called Metalheads, um, and it's basic. It's um, it's like um, Fall Guys, uh, but it's probably, if it's possible, more like you know Mario Party style esque yeah. mini game thing. But that was in development before I think Fall Guys might have even been announced and all this stuff. So it's definitely been coming this way. And then you know, as you said, Among Us was a while along for quite a while until it finally came back. So it's like the trends start years before and don't really pick up steam until, I don't know, they all converge or something. Well, I I don't think the trends started early. Um, I think Among Us made the wrong game. They, two and a half years ago, made a game that like requires 10 people to be playing online, which is hard to do. They got big when everyone was at home and had lots of time to play a 10-person online game. Right. It's sort of like the trends that just are dictated by, well, you know, partly that's uncertainty, really. I mean, you, you couldn't have predicted that that, that would happen. <laughs> no. Um, 
my my thought was going to be that this year was going to be more about uh, single player RPGs and single player adventure games. Uh, Sony proved that it worked last year and the year before, and I was going to bet on the other companies doing that. But then COVID happened, and like that's not what we're seeing, and can't predict that. It'll be interesting to see how larger companies or larger development studios that have already had something in the works from two three years ago you know they're publishing games now without being able to react to the market trends because of the sort of you know the, the behemoths that they are in, in turning things around or trying something new and so you know we're going to see games published now that started a couple of years ago and might not um, mesh with any trends yes um i think a lot of those big big players they're gonna they're not they're gonna ignore the current 2020 covid trend because their game's going to take two and a half years to make they they are 100 percent betting that this is going to be done by then and they're going to be working on like all right while everyone was playing party games what have they been missing mm-hmm. and they're going to make they're going to try and make that what mm-hmm. that is i don't know but they they employ people that is their sole job to work out what that is yeah r&d we, yeah yeah well you look at like breath of the wild that was it's not really so much a game changer um because that it's a convergence of a, of a few styles but then once that's come out the next few years is just populated by games that come out that are inspired by breath mm-hmm. of the wild so they almost start a trend just from as you said kieran have just been like we're working on this game because we've spent so long on it and they're a big that's... enough force to start it it's also so hard with Nintendo because they don't care about trends. They're just like, here's this generation's Super Smash, Zelda, and Mario. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy. And people, and people keep buying them. That's the thing. Yeah. People love well, it. Well, if one thing, they design their games well. I, I'll say that except for Breath of the Wild, which for the most part is designed very well. But the amount of frustrating uh, weapon breaks that I've had in that, it's just, it's not fun. And I don't understand what, it adds to the experience. It only takes. And I think if something takes, it should add as well. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I found, I mean, personally, I found with the weapon breaking, um, something I've, you know, I look at these things ever since getting into game development. Previously, I would have been like, nah, just forget this. But I'm like, I would have just stuck to the one weapon, you know, and just used that forever. But because it breaks, I'm forced to, you know, switch up my techniques, switch my weapons, use ones that wouldn't have been as good rather than just be like, you know, if it's Halo up, oh, I love the shotgun, I'm sticking to the shotgun or something like that. It sort of forces but, the player into into playing a certain way as opposed to giving option. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that means you're forcing them to use every weapon, which I guess is valid, but people are going to enjoy it less than if they can be like, oh, I really love the longsword. While someone's like, I really love the javelin. Like, who's to say that them enjoying the game more, mm-hmm. even though they're using less of the game, is worse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. That's a decision that they've made. Mm. And, like, the rest of their games don't do that. Yeah. Like, you don't have to use different Super Smash characters once you've used one too many times. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. So it's like, why would they choose that to dictate... Like, no, 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 you'll like this. Trust us. Just keep, keep going. They probably, they probably felt like we've designed such a huge game with so much variance. Like, people need to try everything. Yeah. <laughs> They'll like it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, that, that's my thought on it anyway. Yeah, no, and that, it's good to get that, get that perspective because, as I said, I mean, my perspective on it changes without any, anything that's, you know, similar to that of pre-game development, in-game development, and then speaking to other Game devs. Otherwise, it's just an echo chamber, and then I don't yeah. have new ideas. Um, I was going to ask actually the game design aspects that that you sort of, um, well, you're leading leading up game design within your game as well. Is that self taught, or is that something oh, that absolutely um, self taught? Yep. I did computer science. I just have played a lot of games in my sad, pathetic life. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I play lots of things. Um, one of my favorite games is Skies of Arcadia, which is a JRPG, yep. and I hate JRPGs. <laughs> why why so, is it your favorite? Um, there, there was just something about it. Like, the, the music is amazing. For a JRPG, it focused less on this mishmash of 800 characters and just gave you, like a, like, a main three, and the story just was very cohesive for me mm-hmm. that... 
like I, I really struggle with Final Fantasy games because like everyone seems to know what everything is going on. I'm like, I don't know how you do that game was like 800 hours and I've forgotten what like the 10 boss bosses were. How long Skies of Arcade? Did you play it on the GameCube or? Uh, I played it on Dreamcast and Dreamcast. GameCube. Um, awesome. The main story is about 12 to 15 hours from what I remember. But like any of those things, like you can make it 40 if you want to do mm-hmm. all the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do a lot of the extra stuff because you don't know where to go. Because back then they didn't have like, all right, this is the waypoint to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. So what's, um, uh, let's say, a few dragons in 10 years' time? What's your What's your dream for that? In 10 years' time, I hope we haven't grown too much. I like the idea of being a 10, 15-person studio um, mm. that's making games that we really enjoy. Like... If we were to finish the game, we'd be happy to sit down and play it. Whereas yeah. I think if you go to 100, you've got people working there just because it's a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I maybe there's a studio that solved that problem, but I just don't see it. Like you're just going to get people apply, not because that's the studio I want to work at. You're just going to get people apply like, I'm an artist and I need an artist job. I hate first-person shooters, but I'm going to go work on Call of Duty. I guess it's it almost comes down to the, the size. I mean... It, Geographically, you know, the size of or the amount of companies that are, say, here in Adelaide um, or, you know, whatever state it is that you're in, you might only have a certain amount of options and you're sort of forced to go down that path as opposed to if there was an abundance of games companies, say, in Adelaide um, that yeah. were at that at that size or that studio size, you could, you know, pick and choose what, what it is that you're interested in. And I guess it depends on the person as well. I 100% agree. Um, I think that might be changing now. I see a lot more jobs for like, hey, our studio is just going remote Mm -hmm. or we're starting a remote studio. Yep, yep. Because they they had to. I think a lot of companies realized like, hold on, we like saved half our money because the two biggest things is staff and rent. Yep. And they can get rid of rent. You can make better games. Um, I think the the massive companies might struggle with that because they have a very... And Japanese companies, they have a very control-heavy, like, uh, here's this person's vision and they're going to micromanage everyone until that vision's met. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, if everyone's, like, not there, how do you micromanage them? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's a good one that we we spoke to... um couple episodes ago to modern vintage gamer from uh, youtube and he works at night dive studios which is uh, a company that is been remote since its inception like it's just just remote the whole the whole team is distributed and and they work well they publish a a lot of games per year um yeah so i mean it definitely is possible and everyone's seeing that now because of covid Mm. oh it definitely is um my day job like a lot of us prefer to work remotely um we get distracted a lot and can just do work better Mm -hmm. um that being said there's just people that need to be in the office they're like no i get too distracted at home um i think i think you can learn self-discipline but i think people thrown into it seem to be scared by it and Mm -hmm. they're like no i can't do this like i just want to go play the guitar in my hanging in my room yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) literally behind me right now Yeah, no, I feel that definitely. Yeah, it's good to have that that balance. But I mean, I see you on your way, you know, with that stuff. The um, what you want in ten years' time, as I said, you know, you, you the way you promote the game and everything, like you seem to have it all. You know, the the what do you call it? The seedlings of it. You know, that in ten years that will happen. You know, and we're seeing a lot of these studios come up. Uh, how would you say it? It's under the I don't want to say under the shade because that sounds bad, but like, you know, where all these possibilities are coming out now because of a lot of the companies before, like, you know, Mighty Kingdom and stuff like that, getting in local government ear saying, you know, there's other teams out there. So we're getting the support. Yeah. I still don't think indies get enough support. Um, we got the, the game dev grant thing and that was like a once off but a lot of the stuff that's happening is like, all right, if you're already making 500,000, you can get a bit of money back. I'm like, that's, that is good for things like Mighty Kingdom and Foxy Games because it means they can employ more people who just want a job. Uh, it doesn't do much for the people wanting to make IP in Australia, like mm. which is strange to me since a lot of their things like, oh, we want to promote um, Australian IP mm. where the money's only coming back to Australia, where a lot of the bigger companies, some do their own IP, yeah. a lot do like Disney or Lego or something, which that's that's not going back. 
I mean, what what you would hope, I guess, is that now these companies can do their own IP and they can sort of offset a, a bit of that, uh, you know, well, whatever that, that tax offset, they can use that towards f- funding their own uh, sort of IP and then Hopefully. also upskilling, um, yeah, and then also upskilling people who um, in the in the community, which hopefully then end up doing their own thing or uh, end up sort of leading up IP within these companies. Anyway. Yeah, I, I find it a bit funny. Like that, that's a lot of the government I see. They're like, oh, we're going to upskill you to do these things. And then it just misses that point to me of like, just because you have the skills doesn't mean you have the resources. Or the passion. Like, oh, even if you have the passion and, and the skills, like if you've got a family of like three others that you have to provide for, mm-hmm. you can't just take a year off and make a video game business. Yeah. That's just not going to happen. Um, but if that per- if, the, if the government's like put all this money into this person to train them up and then they're just going back to work as a manager at Kmart, like that just seems wasted to me. Yeah, yeah. I feel you here. Uh, I know what you're saying. At least if there's some su- support there for, uh, yeah, furthering your own studio or at least giving you like maybe six to 12 months leeway in some, you know, in the form of grants or whatever. That, that yeah, can definitely like, I f- help. I feel like AIE does a much better thing with their like graduates. Like they teach them how to do everything and then like, all right, here's some studio space for a year. I don't know if they still do it, but when they did that, that, that was really good. That's, that's promoting like, all right, we've given you the skills and we're now providing you the space safely to use them, mm-hmm. which the government, I don't feel is doing that. They're just like, all right, you've got the skills. See ya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think what they need as well with those kind of things that you're saying is the support, the ongoing support um, yeah. rather than like a, like a push them out. I'm not saying AIE does this, but it's, it's something that anyone, if you train them up need is not just get them out of the nest, basically be like, get them out of the nest, but make sure like, cause you know, no, you sure learn though. exactly. You learn more on the job than you do learning about the job. Oh. So so yeah. much what what they tried to teach us at uni for programming and i don't blame the lecturers like they they are stuck in this system of like all right it took two years to approve this course you can finally teach it and like yeah but everyone's learning something new now like <laughs> yeah. yeah well that's what you're teaching yeah like, fine <laughs> yeah. and it's it's so much worse than technology like what they like the ui um design and the ui tools that they were using um when i was at uni I was making my own UI stuff for um, like the Unity store, as I said. And like, if I relied just when I learned on Unity, like I would never have gotten my first job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Which required is, that, as you said, that discipline and that self-driven and self-learning. Yeah. Like I see a lot more companies now as well. Like if you don't go to uni, they don't care. If you have a great portfolio proving you can do what they're looking for, you'll get hired over the person who's got the, the masters in uh whatever it is yeah that that's not the same for every company i don't i know governments just like i don't care what you can do as long as you have that piece of paper yeah so like it it depends where you want to work yeah i think in uh i've got some animator friends who are like you know they look at la where like pixar and all that kind of stuff is and all those big companies they're like i think you need like four years of study or something, but our courses only go for three years. So it forces you to do honors or something like that. Yes. Um, so for international, um, sort of visa applications, if you've done a four year degree, it makes it a lot easier. It doesn't matter if that four year degree is worse or not in the thing that you're trying to do, as long as you have it. Like if I did a four year, um, dispensary degree for, uh, the local pharmacist, and then I want to go get a job uh, doing some programming. It, all that matters is I have four years at uni. It doesn't matter that, like, I'm not skilled in that profession at all. Right. Yeah, to me, that's that stinks of a broken system. <laughs> it's it's like a checklist of, like, we want professional people who, are, who have degrees, who we class as better. Yeah. But I think like it's probably the, like a it's like a discipline thing. It's like that you can you can go at something for three to four years and you've got the discipline or you've learned some sort of skills that don't really have to do with the degree, but have to do with the the ethic that is required to get the degree or something. There's probably a bit of that. I think a lot of it would be as well, like the sheer amount of numbers that they probably have to go through. They don't have time to spend half mm. a day looking at if you're skilled for the job you're going for. It's like, do you have a four year degree? All right, 
the employer can do the rest. Yep, yep. They're yeah. employing you, it's their responsibility. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Oh, well, Kieran, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, Anytime, that was really fun. That's awesome. Um, tell us, tell people like where we can find um, a few dragons, how we can support you. Yep, so if you go to thesacredacorn.com, that has all of our stuff. If you don't want to go to our website like someone of the past, you can go to our Twitter, which is at a few dragons. You can find us on Steam, which is the Sacred Acorn. Uh, just put it in the search box. You can also find us on like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram if you so choose. TikTok. TikTok. Uh, awesome. how, how's that working? Um I think you should definitely be getting into it. I think it's going to be, it's going to replace Instagram in like how people uh, advertise games. Cause I think p- games have struggled to advertise on Instagram unless they have a lot of spending budget, but the virality of TikTok is just so much better for games. If you can, if you can have like a, especially if it's something funny in a game, like um, boyfriend dungeon has a lot of moments like that. Very viral. Um, if you have a game that has, has sort of viral moments, that is the platform you need to be on. Right, that's that's awesome. eye-opening. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kieran. Thanks for jumping on. No problem. Thank you.